If you want to get your Bibles and turn to Acts 2, we will um, get there in a little bit. Um, we'll be in a, a few other passages um, before we, we get there. Um, I don't know if you've watched post-game interviews in sports, um, but they're pretty useless for the most part. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. They ask the same questions, and all the guys respond sort of in the same way to the same questions. You know, we tried really hard. We're going to do our best. and uh, It's disappointing. All these, you know, sort of um, pat answers that they give. Um, but my estimation of a, of a football quarterback always goes up a few notches when he's being interviewed, and I hear him say something like, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did except for the offensive line. Because uh, these are the guys that, that get no glory but are in the front each play trying to protect him and doing the hard grunt work to keep him safe. Uh, I played offensive line in fifth grade, and in fifth grade alone, that was the only time I ever played um, tackle football. Ian's not here, but he was on the offensive line, so he'll, he'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, I don't know if there's any more thankless position in sports, you're there working hard, and nobody notices when you do your job, but everyone sees when you don't. Uh, I can remember coaches screaming, you know, Sabaka, block your guy or something. And maybe I'm more scarred by that year of my life than I'd like to admit. Um, but a football team is is just that, isn't it? It's it's a team. Everyone's working together, and the quarterback is in, is important, but no quarterback can walk on the field and and try to lead the team by himself without anyone else out there. That'd be completely ridiculous. Even thinking about basketball, Michael Jordan was amazing. But imagine if he said to all his teammates, you guys just ride the bench, I'll take it from here. He would average zero points, no matter how good he is. And as we think about that that image, I want to say it would be just as ridiculous for us as Christians seeking to live our lives um, in a way that honors God, it would be just as ridiculous for us to try to do that apart from the blessing of the community of other believers. It would be ridiculous for us to seek to grow in holiness, to face the trials of life, um, to try to be a husband or, or a, a wife or a father or a mother or a, a, a daughter or a son or a, just a, an employee at your job, to do that in a way that honors God, but to do it without the help of other people that make up the body of Christ. We've been thinking about the, the gospel recently. And last week we sort of tried to see how the gospel then is the power that we have to continue on in the Christian life, that in Christ we have been buried with him in death and raised to walk in new life. And that is where our identity is at. It's, it's in our union with Christ. And that's the way that we continue to move forward. And this morning I want to think about, about the church, about the people of God, and how that impacts the way that we continue to walk as Christians, as the people of God. Um, I want to think about just two ideas this morning, um, and they are sort of big, and we'll, we might skate over them a little bit, which I guess is appropriate on this icy morning. Um, but we'll think about first the corporate nature of salvation, and then second, the blessings of the local church. So the corporate nature of salvation, meaning that the fact that when we are saved, we are saved into a group as a people of God, and then also the blessings of the local gathered church. Um, the first, we're going to think about it from various scriptures, and then the second, we will get into Acts 2. Um, and then at the end, I will, we're going to walk through our church covenant, which you'll see on the back of the, uh, of the bulletin. But first, let's think about the corporate nature of salvation, okay? Uh, we said last week that coming to Christ 
is is like forsaking the kingdom of Satan, that, where we had rebelled against God, and being rescued by God and transferred into his kingdom, where now we no longer fight against God, but rather we are on God's side. We are in his kingdom. We are working with him. Uh, as Colossians 1, 13 through 14, we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom ha- we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We said that salvation happens as we are united to Christ in, in this picture of baptism. Not that baptism saves us, but it pictures what happens, that we are buried with Christ. We die to our sins and we are raised to walk in new life. And now having been united with Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. We're able to walk with him in a way that is pleasing. The tendency, though, for us is to think about that in purely individualistic terms. So of my salvation, my faith, my relationship with God. And it's true that we as individuals who have repented of and forsaken of our sin, that we trusted in Christ, we are God's children. We are, on an individual basis, we belong to him. And we as individuals are responsible for our growth in Christ-likeness and for our sanctification. Paul makes that clear. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just a side note, you see that second part. It is our job to work, and God is the one that will work in us. But as much as the, it's individual, there's also it's, it's true that being uni- in being united to Christ, we are also united to one another. We are united to the body of Christ and to other believers. That as we are brought into the kingdom of God, it's, it's more than just some sort of exclusive club with just me and Jesus. You know, uh, Rather, we enter into the walls of the kingdom, and when we get there, we realize that we're surrounded by others who have done the same, by brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all the ages. This isn't something that we just find in the, in the New Testament, though. But God has always been about bringing a people together, a a nation, a gathered group. And salvation is not primarily about individuals, but about how individuals make up the people of God, those he has redeemed and and made his own. I was reading in this big book, this ESV study Bible this week, and I read the theology of the Old Testament. Listen to this. I was just struck by it. Uh, The author says, it is important for Christian readers to sharpen their grasp of how the Old Testament uses words such as salvation and judgment. When the Old Testament speaks of God redeeming his people or saving them, it refers to God's gracious dealings for the sake of his corporate ent- of a corporate entity, the people. He calls it, he protects it, he purifies it in order to foster the conditions under which the life of its members may flourish. The Old Testament can also speak of God giving salvation or redemption to particular persons. Generally in the Old Testament, however, such expressions refer to members of the people experiencing the benefits of covenant membership, whether that be forgiveness of sins or deliverance from some trouble or persecution or something else, tracing everything back to the grace of God that led him to make the covenant originally and now to keep it in effect. And listen to this. When Christians speak of personal salvation, they usually are thinking of individuals in isolation and so have a much narrower meaning in mind. They should consider whether the New Testament usage is closer to the Old Testament usage than they might have realized hitherto, including both every aspect of their lives and their connections to other believers, and thus extending to a wider range of experience 
than simply their souls. Simply put, salvation makes us a part of the people of God. And when, and when we read inscription that says, you, you, you are this, very often those yous are not individual, but are plural, and they're speaking of the people of God. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers of God, with, with a group of people that were worshipers. They weren't just supposed to keep it to themselves. The building of the Tower of Babel, then, is, is done in direct opposition to God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and rather they say, let's just stay all here together. So God separates them by languages and forces them to spread out throughout the earth. The call of Abraham. God comes to Abraham, and he doesn't say, you and you alone will walk with me. But he says, you walk with me, and my desire is to multiply you, Abraham, and to make of you a great nation of people who will walk after me and follow me. Moses meets God on the mountain, and he's, he's called to be a rescuer of God's people. Moses, when he delivers the people of, of Israel from slavery in Egypt, the Lord meets them at the foot of Mount Sinai just after they have passed through the Red Sea. And we read this, Exodus 19, 2 through 6. It says, there before the mountain, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God is, is continually pursuing and gathering his people, his, his nation. And when Jesus comes, we see that he comes, he is seeking out individuals, but he is also gathering them in, into his kingdom. Jesus comes for particular sheep. Why? So that he can put them into his flock. Peter picks up on this idea in the old, these ideas in the Old Testament, uh, the, the truths of a corporate people. And in 2 Peter 2, 9 through 10, he says this, But you, that's a plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Titus 2, 11 through 14 also speaks about this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, why? He gave himself for us to to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This gathering of the, the people of God is what we see happening in Acts 2. As people repent and believe and are baptized, as the early disciples, they gathered in the upper room and they were waiting for the promised spirit to come. And he descends on them with tongues of fire. And then they, they spill out on the streets as a reversal of Babel of sorts, where the languages are not now, where they were, they were all together and then God separated them. But now everyone hears the gospel in their own tongue, and, and they hear them speaking the good news about salvation in Jesus' name. 
and how they had rejected the Messiah, but now he was calling them to repent and to believe so they would receive forgiveness of sins and be united to Christ and to his people. And what follows after Peter preaches the gospel in Acts 2, you can turn here, Acts 2, if you're not there yet, but in verse 37, this is what Luke writes. Now when they heard this, when they heard the, the gospel proclaimed, they were, they were cut to the heart. and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles' brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The people are convicted of their sin, and they're ready to repent and believe, to turn from sin and from rejecting Jesus as Savior, and instead to place their trust in him as their deliverer, as their Lord, as their King. And as they do this, they are baptized. They identify with Christ, and they, they proclaim their union with his death and his resurrection. And we see in verse 41 that those who received the word and were baptized those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came that day and, and repented and, and believed and found salvation in Christ. But it says there they were, they were added. That phrase shows up, we'll see it in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's this indication that, that these souls were not simply united to Christ, but they were added to this number. That they're united to Christ, but then they are also united to those who have also identified themselves as followers of Jesus. This is why you read parts things like this, and then what we read in um, in First Corinthians 12. I don't know if you if you caught that where it talked about about baptism. Um, it says. It says, for just as the one body, the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's a spiritual baptism. But again, the outward baptism shows spiritual realities. And so the church has always seen that that baptism is not simply an expression of a person's personal faith in Christ, but it's also their identity as a being a part of God's gathered people. This would include what we would call the, the universal church, that when we are baptized, we are united with Christ, but we are united with Christians throughout all ages. But it's also been the sign of entrance into a local community of believers, that when you are baptized, someone is baptized, they become a member both of the universal church, but also of that local church that baptizes them. They, be, they are united to that church. There's this recognition right at the very beginning of the Christian life that says, you can't do this on your own. You are united to this group of people, and it's a blessing, and it's a necessity for you to live in community, not in isolation. So think with me, that that's sort of this corporate nature of salvation, but think about the blessings of the local church, that we are added to this this number of, of broad, broadly speaking, the universal church, but we also should become a part of a, of a local church, and there's blessings involved in being part of the local church. There's a testimony to this blessing in verses 42 through 47. This is sort of the birth of the church. Now, we look at this, and there's no church building. 
they had no building that would hold all of them, I don't think. Um, but there is a, a community that, that breaks out here. And just look at what happens. Paul or um, Luke describes their union with Christ through repentance and faith. And then we read this in verse 42. And they, those that were added, and then the disciples as well, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As these followers of God gather, the the followers of Christ gather together, they begin to show forth what it means to be a part of this new community, to be a part of the kingdom of God, this, this walk of faith that no one could do on their own. What do you see there? We see, especially in verse 42, uh, four things. You see devotion to God's word. The, the blessings of the local church, it, it's, it, it's characterized by devotion to God's word. This would have been necessary for them to, to know the, the apostles' teaching. Teaching, given there's, there's no New Testament at this time for them to read. Of course, the Old Testament is there, but the disciples, the apostles, are charged with, with teaching. And what are they going to teach? They're going to teach what we just read about at the end of Luke, what they learned on the road to Emmaus and in the upper room, how all of the scriptures point to Jesus. They're going to bring this new frame of reference to everyone to say, look, in the Old Testament, what we are seeing is Christ, is Jesus and the fulfillment that he brings of all these things. They, they Not only that, but they needed to give shape to this early Christian community. How were they to walk with God? And so they devoted to God's word. This, is, of course, is the great responsibility of the church. As a, it's a sign of the true church, a devotion to the word of God, to teaching and to preaching. And that's why we're all sitting here, right? Because we see that God's word instructs us and helps us to grow. And we come week in and week out to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Not to Andy's teaching or whoever else might stand up here, but to what God's word says and to how we understand it based on, on as the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. So we're devoted to God's truth. We're devoted to one another. There's a devotion to one another. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship's a word we use. Maybe we don't think about what it actually means. But it's this devotion and this love for one another. This group of people who had come from all regions, had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, they now come together in in fellowship, in this loving community that looks beyond their differences and is united in, in relationships that are centered around their common faith in Christ. They were all so different. Think about how many languages are mentioned at the beginning of Acts 2. And they all come together as different people from different places, and they are together. I don't know that the gift of tongues continued in those early days, so maybe they couldn't even understand each other half the time. I don't know if they had a common language, if they, if they were all able to understand um, Hebrew at that time, but whatever's going on there, there's this mesh of all these people that come together. And why are they together? because of their common faith in Christ, and they love one another. You see how that plays out, the, the sacrificial care that they all have, the joyful sharing that they, they had. They eat together. They spend time together. I mean, it says they, they were together. They had all things common, verse 44. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They're gathering in the temple. They're breaking bread in their homes. 
there's just this spirit of, of joy and, and fellowship and camaraderie. They're encouraging one another. They're eating their meals together. And not just any meal, but they're, they're also devoted to the Lord's Supper. Devotion to the Word of God, devotion to one another, devotion to the Lord's Supper. I think that that's what that means when it says the breaking of bread. I don't think that's just any breaking of bread, but it's the specific practice of remembering Christ through the Lord's Supper. That's the, the command that Christ had given them, to remember him. And so they made this, this um, the, the sacrifice of Jesus and remembering it, that was at the center of their community. That that, this is what unites us, and we're going to do this when we gather together. We're going to remember Christ. They reminded themselves that he is their life and their salvation. He's the, the source of their unity. Remember that the Lord's Supper reminds us as we all take from one bread. We all drink from the same cup. And, and just imagine that group together. And as they did that, they reminded, this is how we are together. We are united in Christ. Devotion to God's Word, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Devotion to prayer. Prayer is dependence upon God. And as they are gathered together in these early days, they are, they are dependent upon God for their needs, for the needs of their community. They're worshiping Him in prayer, confessing sin. filled with thanksgiving and the result is you see that they're praising god verse 47 and having favor with with all the people so that every day more and more people are coming and being a part of this group they see this community that's unlike anything they've ever seen before and everyone loves them they say look at this group this is amazing what they're what they're doing the way they're impacting our that jerusalem it's 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 great and i want to be a part of that what a wonderful picture Acts 2, 42 through 47 is of what God's people are supposed to be like. This is, this is the church. The church is not a building. It's not a social club. But it's a people that are devoted to God, that are devoted to his truth, that are devoted to one another, that are devoted to the core of the gospel that's expressed in the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to praying. And they do all these things in such a radical way that everyone who sees it going on, they, they love it and they want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of that. Of course, that's that's what we are a part of. That's what God's gathered people in the local church are supposed to be like. This is what we're supposed to look like. Easier read than done, right? I can read this and I can see it and I can get it, but but it's hard. Is there is there a way that we can even come close to this expression of community? Especially in 60-hour work weeks and, and rush hour traffic and we've all got long commutes and we've got... You've got kids' sports programs, maybe, or you've got to pay your bills online. or you know, I mean, I spend half my day going through junk mail, not to mention all the other distractions and, and responsibilities. I'm lucky to eat dinner by myself, you know, just getting food in my stomach, let alone breaking bread with someone else. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard, but this is what we are called to. No matter how hard it, how hard it is to, to see these things realized in our lives as a as a church, this is what we as members of God's community are called to do and to be. And it's in fact, if you're a member of Grace Fellowship Church, it's what you've committed to do and to be. We've committed, we've promised to do these things for one another. I actually want to spend some time looking at our church covenant, what we've committed to one another. But before we do that, I just want to say a word about, about church membership, because I think church membership can be misunderstood. I think church membership can be seen as... Um, you know, some sort of exclusive club or, or some way just, you know, well, if I want to vote at the meetings, I need to be a member so that I can sort of influence the pastor or influence the church in the way that I want them to go. 
or it's just some other fringe group that you're a part of. Know this, the church membership, what the church is, is the church is made up of Christians. The requirement to be a member of Grace Fellowship Church is that you are a Christian. We don't require anything else. We ask that you have been baptized. That's not what makes you a Christian, but it is that first sign of obedience. It's a visible display of what you have done. And as we've seen here, it's, it's what the church has recognized as the entrance into God's community of believers. But beyond being a Christian, that's, that's the baseline of what it means to be a part of Grace Fellowship Church, to be a member of this church. We're going to walk through you with some things. Make sure you understand the gospel. We, we, we do this with all of our if, if you're a member, you went through this. We talked about um, the statement of faith. You had to talk to Joel and I. You had to share your testimony with the, with the church because we want to know that, what, you're a Christian. That's, that's what we're going for here. But the core of, of church membership is not some club. But let me just say this, too. That's why we need to see that the God's people are distinct in that way. Not everyone is a part of the church, this particular church, but even the church universal. Who are God's people? It's those who have repented and believed and put their faith in Christ. That's how we know we are part of God's people. And if we haven't done that, if you have never turned to Christ for salvation, turned from sin, and been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then you are not a part of God's people. You're not, you may be in a church, but are you a part of the body of Christ through repentance and faith? I would encourage you to, to know, to, to look even at the first part here of, of Acts 2 that we read, where people are cut to the heart and say, what do I need to do to be saved? When we see our sin rightly, we say, what do I need to do? Those of you that were in Sunday school, what we think about, about Christian as he's there and he, he is, feels the weight of sin on his back and he sees the judgment that's coming and he says, what? i got to get out of the city of destruction. And he runs looking for life. And life is found in Christ. It's found in Jesus in repenting and believing in him. But when we become a part of, of a church, of a particular church, church membership to me is simply an expression of my need and of my love for others, my need for others, and my love for others. It's an expression of need, and it's an expression of love. I need others to walk with me, and my love for God's people compels me to walk with them. We have a bond with with all believers, right? I mean, we are united to believers worldwide and even throughout the ages. But, But there is something particular about gathering in a local body and being committed to one another. I want to look at our covenant, what we as a church have committed to, to do and to be. Maybe you're not a member of our church. That's okay. Just look at this with us and, and think about what what it means to be a member of the church, even just to be a, a part of God's family. And I think that this is, this. let's be clear, right? The church covenant, it is not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> but my hope is that it expresses what we read in Acts 2, it expresses what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. It expresses what you read in Romans 12. It expresses what God's people are supposed to be like. It's rooted in Scripture. So I just want to read some parts and then we'll comment on it and think through what we as a church just remind ourselves, what we are supposed to be committed to as followers and as those who have united together. It begins, having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him. And having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. Notice again, 
the basis of our unity and our commitment to one another is our common faith in Christ. That's what brings us together. Why else would we all gather together on a Sunday morning? It's only because Christ brings us together. And that the strength for us to fulfill this commitment is found where? Only in his gracious aid. Only in what God can do in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we recognize the, the weight of the commitment that we make to one another. But notice also that it's, it's solemnly and joyfully. That there is joy in being a part of God's people and in being in community like we, is described here. I think it's good to pause and to remember that the reason that we get together every week and beyond is, is simply our common faith in Christ. And the fact that we are united to him. And by being united to him, we are united to one another. He is our head. We are, we are the body. And every part is necessary. His divine grace has, has brought us salvation, it says. But in his divine sovereignty, he has brought each of us to this place at this time to be a part of this body. What a beautiful thing. That, that you are here by God's divine appointment to be a part of this community. And that God has us here for such a time as this. The next thing there says, we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. Unity, peace. So often that's not what marks the church, is it? But it's division and fighting. We want to pray to God, that he would give us unity in the spirit and peace. This brotherly love reminds me of First Thessalonians five thirteen through 15. It says this, Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Remember, church membership is an expression of need. It's an expression of weakness. I, and I say, I need someone to watch over my life so that, that when the occasion requires, you can admonish me, that you can encourage me, that you can help me. And, and you'll do it with patience because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. We are united in the spirit and, and we, can do, we can maintain peace even in the midst of difficult things. That you can have a hard conversation with me or I can have a hard conversation with you about things that are going on in your life. And because we are family, there's still peace there and we can work and grow together. And next says, we, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. Hebrews tells us to not forsake assembling ourselves together, that we are to regularly meet with God's people. We, this is the, the devotion to the apostles' teaching, but also we're not to neglect to pray for ourselves and for and for others that we are devoted to prayer as the early church was we should be devoted to the apostles teaching yes in our in our private study we should be reading god's word but there's a gift in the church as a whole and and in leaders in particular that that come together and help us to to understand to lead us into truth there's something unique about god's word proclaimed on a sunday morning it's different because it's this corporate gathering where the Spirit is teaching us and helping us to grow together. Again, we can pray together. We can, we can pray on our own. And we should pray on our own. But there's something about God's people gathering together, expressing their needs to one another, 
and joining their hearts together in prayer. There's something that God uses in a unique way as we all gather together. And so we, we need to, to be devoted to assembling together to hear God's word and to praying for one another. That's why I love our Sunday nights. The, the focus is prayer. We do a lot of other things. I'm, 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 I was so glad to get back to January. Our November and December are a little nuts on Sunday nights. We do a lot of stuff. But it was so good to get together last Sunday and, and hear some testimonies and then just to pray for one another. And tonight, there's nothing on the agenda. We're going to pray. And, and we're going to take this church covenant and we're going to say, God, help us to, to do this and to be this for one another. We need to be devoted to prayer, to resting in, in God. The next part of the covenant says, we will endeavor... We will try really hard to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We are committed as members. We commit to say, I will raise my children to know and to love God, to, 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 to grow in that knowledge. We're going to do our best to do it. And what better place to do that than in community with one another? I need help raising my own kids. <laughs> and we all need that. I can remember um, right after Gwen was born when Jude would lose his mind on Sunday mornings, and I can still see Sarah Elizabeth walking out the door with him, helping us, because we need help. We need help in this journey. It's hard, and we need people to walk with us. We need, to, we need people to walk with us as we seek to have this pure and loving example, as we, we seek to see our friends and our family come to Christ. As we raise our children, we want them to know who Jesus is and to know the gospel. And we also want our friends and our, our friends to know the gospel and, and extended family. We can do that on our own. We are responsible for sharing the gospel. But the gathered church is unique as we pray for one another. And even the gathering itself is evangelistic. Notice what happens here. They, they are praising God and they have favor with all the people. Everyone looks at this community and says, what's going on there? And then the Lord adds to their number day by day. John 13.35 says that our love for one another reveals that we are truly disciples. There's a, there's a part of our testimony as disciples of Christ and, and the proof that we truly are disciples that is missing if we're not loving one another on a regular basis. Well, I could say more there, but the next part says, We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Scripture tells us to weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice. How can we do that if we're not in community? How can I do that if I don't know when you are rejoicing? If I don't know when you are weeping? Not only do I have a responsibility to be in your life and know that, but we each have a responsibility to share our burdens and sorrows. When we are weeping, it shouldn't be something that we do in a closet. It shouldn't be something that we do and and try to hide our tears so that no one knows what's going on. But rather we come to the community and say, would you weep with me? Would you rejoice with me? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 is so instructive for this. It says that when we receive, we receive comfort from God in large part so that we can comfort others. That's the reason that we receive comfort. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. It does no period there. So that, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What a gift that God gives us. Out of pain, when God comes and comforts us, he says, now, you have the opportunity to comfort others. You can walk through this with someone. Some of you have gone through things that I've never gone through. 
and, and God has comforted you in that. And, and as someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling with this, I can say, you know what? I've never experienced that. But Jordan's experienced that. Carolyn's experienced that. Nate has experienced that. Why don't you talk to them and they can help you know what it looks like to be comforted in that. They can weep with you better than I can. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. It says the next part of our covenant, we will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, remembering that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. I need divine aid to live a holy life. I need God's help, but I need your help too. We need one another to walk this journey. All of these things remind me that that's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather together on Sunday nights. That's why we do small groups. Because, you know, you're not going to share your birds necessarily with this group. There's not even really an opportunity at this moment. There is on Sunday nights. And there's even more so when we gather in small groups in these communities that grow together and, and, and trust one another. I need people to come and to remind me who I am. To remind me that I have been buried with Christ in baptism. And I have been raised to walk with newness of life. I need people to remind me of that. Because I forget who I am so often. You know, I find that when I don't want to go to small group, <laughs> that's when I need to. Because I, I don't want to, I'm ashamed for some reason. Or I'm just tired. And I need to come and have someone say, listen, this is what really matters. This is who you are. And we're walking with you in this. Next part says, we will work together. For the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine. We are committed to these old paths. We're committed to worship. We're committed to baptism, to the Lord's Supper. We're committed to, through discipline, confronting one another about sin and restoring people who repent. We're committed to preaching and to teaching God's word because we know that, that we are always in danger of unfaithfulness. We're always in danger of losing the distinctives of the gospel. We're going to work together to keep the gospel centered that we would be faithful to what he has called us to do and to be. Then we talk about money, right? <laughs> we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. And we want to be like Paul in Galatians 2.10, where they come to him and they said that, that as, as he went out in ministry, that they said, just do this, Paul, remember the poor. And he says, oh, I was eager to do that. I wanted to remember the poor. And, and, and that is how we should be. We should be just like Paul, eager to support the poor and those that are in need, eager to support God's work here and, and around the world. Third John 8 says that when we do that, we become fellow workers for the truth. When we give money, we become fellow workers. We are fellow workers with the trips in the Philippines, with, with, um, with so many other of our missionaries that are heading out into other nations. We become partners with them. And we can do that better together than we can do it apart. That as we come together and we give, we can support people in a unique and different way than we could if we just tried to do it on our own. And then it says, we will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. We're committed to this place until location makes it impossible. We're stuck with one another until we move. And maybe you'll move just so you're not stuck with us. But, you know, <laughs> but, but when we do that, we are committed 
at that point to find more believers, to find brothers and sisters in Christ, because we can't live on our own. We can't survive on our own. So when we move as soon as possible, we will unite with some other group because we need each other. We're committed to each other. And then it ends, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Just a reminder that we need the power of the Trinity itself to let us do this. We need God the Father. We need the Son and we need the Holy Spirit to make it possible. This covenant to me expresses again what I think is at the heart of of, of church membership. There's many things that, that church membership is. Um, if you want to learn more about church membership, I'll give you a little booklet that we've got tons of in the back. Um, but here's what I think. Being a part of the local church, if I just wanted to boil it down to what I want you to understand again, it's it's an expression of need. When we gather together, we say, I need accountability. I need discipline. I need help. I need others. I need you to walk with me. I cannot do this on my own. And it's also an expression of love. And it's an expression of love that, that for all of God's people that are gathered in this place, whether they're your favorite people or not, they are your family. Isn't that what family is, right? And it's it's a love for them that says, not only do I need you, but I, I love you enough that I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to be a part of you. I'm going to walk with you on this journey. It's it's not just me by myself, but I, it's it's love for others. It's self-denial that says I care for others. And and it's, a, I, I think, a expression of need and expression of love, but it's a means of joy too, isn't it? That when we gather together, it's not just all hard work. <laughs> Church covenant can sound daunting, can't it? But, but this is a place of joy. When we walk with one another, that's where we, we know true joy. Uh, some of you have been with this church longer than I have. And, and you know that, that there's something about journeying together with the same group for a long period of time. And, you, you know, we've gone through really tough stuff. And we've gone through really exciting stuff. And as we've taken that journey together, there's, there's joy. And we wouldn't change any of it. Well, maybe we'd change some of it. But there's joy in walking together as God's people. So I want us to realize that as we are saved, we are there's a corporate nature. We are saved to be God's people. And also the blessings of the local church. And so let me just give you a couple of thoughts. If you are if you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, if you never repented and believed in and believed in him for salvation, then you are you are outside of fellowship with him. And and in many ways you are outside of true fellowship with this church we love you we care for you but there's a unity and a fellowship that is not there until we are united in christ and so i would encourage you to repent and to believe and to know the blessings not only of forgiveness of sins and of hope for the future but of the blessing and the joy of community in church in this gathering of believers next i just say do do you do we love the church Let's just remind ourselves of our need for others. Do I realize my need? Do I love this church and recognize I cannot survive on my own? Maybe you just you want to recommit to say, I am I'm going to show up here on Sundays. I'm not going to forsake the assembly of myself together. I've made that lax and I've. I've grown tired of it, but I'm going to recommit to that. Or maybe small groups, you want to talk about that. Or maybe you say, you know what, I, 
I see my need for others and I need to find someone that I can be honest with, that I can tell when I'm weeping, that I can tell when I'm struggling, that can remind me who I am, that can remind me that I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. And you want to be in that. I Talk to me or just talk to the person that comes to your mind and say, I need to talk to them. You know, and, and I just would remind you, we're not trying as a church, as we gather together, uh, we're not trying to keep you busy. <laughs> we're not just trying to fill your nights. And, and I hope as a church we don't do that. We try to leave schedules open and whatnot. But at the same time, we are seeking your joy as we gather together, that we are seeking the joy of one another and God's glory as we walk together on this path. So I'd encourage you, members of, of Grace Fellowship Church, remind yourselves of, of what this covenant says. Be with us tonight, and let's pray together. That God, just sort of recommit, as it were, and say, we want to do this. We're not doing it, but we can do it. And to rejoice in the ways that God is aiding us to do it. And maybe you're here and you say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a member. I want to commit to this group. Um, we could talk about that, too. But... Um, Let's take a moment of silence and, and we can reflect on on these things and then I will close this in prayer. <coughs> Father, we are so thankful that you sent Christ to forgive us of our sins to restore us to fellowship with you, to make it possible that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. We thank you for all these blessings of salvation. But Lord, forgive us for not often thanking you that you have given us the blessing of community. You've given us the blessing of a family, of those that are willing to walk with us. I thank you for the church universal. With so many of us have friends that are so close that are in in our hearts but are distant. And so we thank you for the beauty of the unity that you give us in Christ. And we thank you for this local expression. I thank you for Grace Fellowship Church, who over the years continues to gather, Lord, continues to fight the good fight. Lord, you've kept us faithful to the gospel, kept us faithful to one another, and we're still walking, and we ask for your help. As we continue to do that, Lord, we, we recommit ourselves to you and we recommit ourselves to one another, to love one another, to do what we say we will do in this covenant. Help us, but we want to look like Acts 2. And that's only going to happen through you working in and through us. So we ask for your help, God. We need that divine aid. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.